Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello all, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu from Rusty Quill Gaming and the host and director of Enthusiasm. Today, I'm here to tell you about The Program. The Program audio series is a science fiction anthology podcast set in a world where money, state and God are fused into a single entity. Every episode is a standalone story featuring ordinary people inhabiting this extraordinary world. And for them, it's not the future that is terrifying, but our present. The programme is sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, but it is always smart. Find out more about the programme at www.rustyquill.com or www.programaudioseries.com or search for The Programme Audio Series wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have fun and enjoy the episode. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a Halloween special. My name is Cole Weavers, creator and narrator of The Town Whispers, and to celebrate All Hallows Eve this year, my friends at Rusty Quill HQ, as well as those friends abroad in the Rusty Quill Network and I have come together to present to you a most exciting offering to celebrate the season. A spooky tabletop RPG one-shot using an adjusted rules-light narrative-heavy version of the Marvel RPG system. In this special Halloween presentation, our cast of players find themselves assembled together as a seasoned paranormal investigation team of quirky individuals with dozens of successful paranormal investigations under their belts. Now they find their newest gig has summoned them to a distant and secluded gated community, known only as Black Willow, where the entire population has recently suffered a paranormal experience so profound they pooled their funds together straight away to hire the best. Fascinated by the prospect of a mass haunting, the crew gears up and heads out, confident that this job is like any other. Now, with all that out of the way, it brings me great joy to present on behalf of all those who came together to make this special Halloween event happen. <laughs> the Skeleton Crew Quickly before we begin, I'd like to introduce our cast of players. I'm Alexander J. Newell. I'm the founder and CEO of Rusty Quill Limited, which is a production company and podcast network. And uh, I've lended my voice to a few projects over the years, most relevant to this uh, Rusty Quill Gaming, which is a uh, RPG podcast where I punish mostly Helen these days. You're um, really mean just, to me. Just uh, just unnecessary uh, punishments <laughs> constantly. That's, that's pretty much the thing. Just awful. I'll be playing uh, Dr. Sebastian Sinclair, BSc, MSc, PhD, disgraced physicist, disgraced chemist, infamous biologist. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Sinclair has been laughed out of a lot of rooms, but only by 
by fools. Fools and morons who don't quite understand his genius. He's not sure what his genius is yet, but he's pretty certain it involves electricity because he's really quite good at it. He uh, has a large sensor backpack called the Mule, uh, which is, of course, uh, his own creation, as is all of the tools. Uh, this is a man who's reinvented the hammer three times. He's sure there's a better way of doing it. He just can't quite can't quite nail it, pun intended. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that pretty much sums me up. Me, as a player, you already know my name is Helen. The rest of my name is Gould. It's Helen Gould. That's the name. I work with Rusty Quill. I am the head of inclusion, and I have done some voice acting on all three of the major shows we've got. I also now have my own show on Rusty Quill called Enthusiasm, which is a chat show. Um, and I, I'm getting used to introducing that because um, it's very new. It is, at this point in time, it has only been out for like two weeks, if that, less a week. <laughs> so yes. Um, also, I am a, a writer and a sensitivity consultant, but that's not as interesting or important to playing games. My character is called Jack Spencer, and he goes by he and they pronouns. He is a student of the supernatural, as well as the many sciences that have been used in various attempts to crack open its mysteries, it says here. A walking encyclopedia of supernatural lore. I've added a few details as well, which is that Jack is unusually confident. Their roommate thinks that they are in a cult. They like strawberry laces and always has a packet of them on their person. And they're learning French on Duolingo and think they're very clever and will be dropping French phrases into random bits of conversation. Hi, I'm John. Uh, I work on a show called The Silk Verses uh, with my wife, Mana. And the character I'm playing is called Rufus. He's a melancholic West Country fisherman in his, his mid-50s. Very weathered, very like Willem Dafoe from The Lighthouse, but maybe a little bit jollier and less uh, psychotic. His deal is very much that he encountered some ghosts while he was fishing many decades ago. He has since come to be very passionate about the supernatural. He doesn't really believe in all this science business that, that Jack talks about. He's much more into the, the intuition and the, the, the melancholy of these, these poor spirits coming back from the dead. Uh, he has a dog called Captain. He is very fond of poetry. Uh, so Captain is named after the Walt Whitman poem. He's never seen Dead Poets Society and he doesn't understand the references to it. Uh, but he will quote poetry quite happily uh, if left to his own devices. I'm Minna. I work on a show called The Silt Versus <laughs> with John. Uh, I produce uh, and John's very modestly not saying what he does on it, but he is the writer and creator of The Silt Versus and I'm in his queue. As a character, uh, my character is called Amira Anwar and goes by uh, she, her. She is moderately um, psychic. She's actually not very good at psychic abilities, but she cheats because the spirit guide of her dead twin brother, who's called Idris, uh, is guiding her. And unfortunately, uh, Amira suffers from chimerism and for those who don't know that's when um, one twin actually absorbs the other in the womb so her spirit guide is actually physically in her and she is always writing in her journal because that's actually how she communicates with her spirit guide so she writes notes and then um, Idris takes over her body and responds back. I am uh, Mark Angelo. I'm the head writer, artist of the podcast called Maltopia. 
and we just released a new podcast called The Wake Sleep Cycle that I think has been out for about a week. I'm the uh, principal writer for that as well. I do most of the art. We have another guy come on that does some of it. And um, yeah, I guess that's me to a T. My name's Cole. I'm the creator and narrator of The Town Whispers. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be at this table with everybody, this virtual table. Uh, I'm very intimidated by everyone's little CVs here. Uh, and thank you so much for joining me. And I'm very excited to look for ghosts with you. Oh. I will be playing uh, Dodge Newton, a very, very old man who stopped keeping track of his birthdays a long, long time ago. Uh, he's got an affinity for canned beans, and he's fascinated by the paranormal. There are always ways uh, to find new and original means of dealing with it. A true believer, and they go to great lengths to contact the other side. I utilize a tool called the Harrow Box, a variation of the Ouija board. It possesses the standard Ouija features, save that they are positioned atop a shallow box therein are recessed several drawers. And I kind of imagine it looking like a weird acoustic guitar. I kind of want to travel back in time and convince my parents to call me Dodge Newton. That is I the, was just say, what the name. coolest name. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of taken What a name. name. They call me Dodge. <laughs> if you enjoyed this special presentation, and would like to gorge yourself on more content created by those who comprise the Skeleton Crew, you can find more information in the episode description below. What has happened is essentially you were received of a phone call from a person by the name of Mabel Cattleberry. She represented a kind of very small rural kind of um, gated community called Black Willow. She and the rest of her uh, fellow Black Willians or Willowians, however you want to say that, had indicated that they had been received of a number of experiences that could be definitely would certainly be characterized as supernatural and the thing that really stood out to everybody was that it was the entire city that was making these kinds of reports the little group got together and decided to put the word out uh, to find someone who had the expertise of dealing with the problem so they reached out to your group uh, a fairly well-known uh, seasoned group of paranormal investigators that have been featured here and there maybe in a newspaper article there maybe on the local news um, all of you got together. You're all very good friends. You've been doing this for quite some time. And as I've said before, you've you've had some notoriety uh, for it, having shown up here, local newspaper articles, maybe an interview here and there. Probably, I would say, 20 or 30 different paranormal exploits under your belts collectively. So you have been called out to the small city of Black Willow to talk to this little neighborhood watch committee, so to speak. They're just like a little neighborhood uh, association that comes to represent all the rest of the individuals in the city and they're kind of airing all of their uh, grievances with regards to all the strange things that are going on. Uh, because of the nature of the situation, it was very important to Mabel that you come as soon as you could, so you were unable to do much background research, but what you have figured out was that the city was a very small, kind of almost an experimental uh, gated community that stuck way back in northern New York in the sticks. And it was built by a company called the Strickland Construction Company, which was manned by an individual by the name of Kenneth Strickland. 
Uh, you put in a few phone calls to see what you could find out about the project itself, and they gave you over to the Windy Property Management Group, who manages the property. And all they could really tell you was they vet everybody that comes into the community, but they would not disclose the name of the individual who is financially responsible for the construction of Black Willow. Only that one exists, and he chooses to remain anonymous. And that is about all that you know about the place. You've never, uh, living so close to it is the city you're from, the, the heretofore unnamed city that you're all collectively uh, residing in. I uh, have never really heard of the place before, so you're somewhat surprised to find that it even exists at all, especially as close as it is. Uh, you've all jumped into your respective vehicles, or one central vehicle. I would imagine you would probably all take your own vehicles. And you've driven out to the Black Willow gated community, having been let through the gate. You parked in your parking spots. And you're now coming out of the vehicles, having discussed some manner of this case with one another, not really having too much of a good coherent idea as to what you're up against, only some brief tidbits of information. You all collect in the parking lot, you've all exited your vehicles, and you're looking out at a kind of a suburban sprawl, and there are a lot of trees, a lot of thickets and brambles surrounding you, and or the surrounding the city, I should say. The buildings themselves seem to come from no particular architectural theme. They seem to be a mismatch for the most part. And uh, that's probably the first thing that you notice. And then I will turn it over to the lot of you. Well, am I the only one who thinks this is probably going to be a Category 2, maybe a Category 3 tops? Well, you know, I'm not so sure. I mean, I'm looking at the readings that I'm getting through the box. There's nothing, there's nothing here. I mean, uh, I walk around and I'm like holding up to just like random trees and lampposts um, and just scoffing. I'm like, ha, this will be barely worth our time. Rufus just kind of nudges Dodge and says, look at that. They're taking readings again. The science folk. <laughs> it's the only way to be sure, Rufus. It's the only way to be sure. I don't know, Imira says. She opens her book and kind of peers into it, crosses out one or two lines and goes, I think four. I think we're going to be quite frightened here, actually. And you should all be taking it a little bit more seriously. Ha! Oh, I'll take it seriously as, as long as we're taken seriously. Hmm? Hmm? Rufus just rolls his eyes. Fear is for the uninitiated. You can say that while you look out over the city and its strange contextual or its architectural features, there is something odd, unaccountably so. You're not finding it uh, showing up in any of the instruments, or even the dog doesn't seem to be picking it up. But somewhere inwardly, there is something unusual afoot, something that you really can't place your finger on. And as you ponder this, you hear a voice up over the hill. And I see that you done come here to talk about your ghosts and your specters. I, I appreciate that. Why don't y'all follow me up this here hill and we'll get down to the nitty and the gritty. My name is uh, William. We didn't talk, but why don't you just follow me up over here and I'll deposit y'all where you need to be. The man is standing approximately a half a block away. You can hear him quite clearly despite the, despite the distance. You can't make him out at all, however. He's just a silhouette on the hill, and then he backs away from you. 
and with a gesture that you might follow him, he is gone. Well, maybe a Category 3. That's a suitably ominous entrance. Did anyone see where he just went, or is it just my old eyes kind of deceiving me? No, he went this way. Uh, William, uh, b- bonjour, bonsoir, eh, enchanté. <laughs> On our way, uh, Jack marches immediately in the direction that William was. You Are, are all of you following? Oh, oh, yeah. In fact, I'll be, uh, Sebastian will be rushing to be slightly in front because my science is better. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a race of sciences, you all make it up over the hill and you've noticed that the individual who was speaking to you previously is approximately the same distance he was away from you at first at the point of contact. He's yet again indistinguishable, not very defined, I should say. He's a person, he's wearing some manner of clothing. It's just very vague at the distance that he's standing. But you can make out his arm pointing towards one of the houses on the left side of the street. Why don't y'all just come on in here, make yourself comfortable. There's a coffee on the table, tea for those of you who prefer that. And uh, like I said, we get down to talking about all these here ghosts and ghoulies and, uh, you know, walls bleeding, all that sort of thing. I I I think the others are waiting inside. Go all down right in there. I'll be in there currently. And as you move forward, if you move forward, do you decide to... I'd like take to take a bit invitation. of a mule reading on him, see if I'm feeling any sound, air pressure, vibration, temperature, flavour, you know. Could you throw me a quick um, intuition check? We'll use your intuition here as the mules. Just yes, a quick okay. ten-sider. Ha, ha, ha. Let me make sure. Yeah, okay. Now remind me for Marvel, is it high good or high bad? Oh, high is always good. Well, most of the time it's good. Okay. You notice that while the individual was standing there and has now more or less kind of moved away from you, the speed that he was moving, you would presume he would show up at least on those metrics which determine the orientation of objects around you and the speed that they might be moving, and yet nothing turns up at all. Well, I, uh... I, I wouldn't want to go out on a limb. No one could ever accuse me of making an unfounded accusation. But I believe that that is not in fact a person, and I would stake my entire professional reputation on that initial reading. Oh, fascinating. Um, can I open up my portable ghost box and um, see if it gives me any unusual readings in the direction of the weird figure? Absolutely. Could you also give me an intuition check? Yes. My intuition is typical. Let's have a look. Typical. In case, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bump that. All very informal. I'm going to bump that because I don't think I included the stats of the actual mechanical objects that you're all in possession of. So I'm going to oh, okay. bump that up a couple. If you would just throw me a percentage roll. Okay. We have 48 you begin to hear a crackling that could at some point possibly cohere into words, but for the most part, it just seems to be a jumble of things. Now, a ghost box, I don't know if any of you are uh, familiar with how it works. It just kind of randomly scans through various channels, and for the most part, the machine puts together the most coherent words that it can into a sentence, and that is taken to be the organizational properties of the ghost itself trying to communicate through the box. And it just is coming through as a bunch of noise for the most part. You can't really hear any coherent, nothing coherent enough that you would stake any kind of decision on it at any rate. Hmm. Well, in my view, the only way to proceed is to investigate further. 
wait, wait, Amira says, hang on, I'm getting a note. And she opens her book again, and she writes quickly a few sentences. And then she says, no, never mind, not oh, this time. Well, you know, one day soon. It's, it's okay, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure you'll find a good psychic vibe at some point. We'll just rely on science until then. While the science people are sciencing, me and Captain are going to take a quick look round at the house. So can we see any exits if we need to make a getaway? Are there any creepy figures in the windows? Just a general vibe check. A cursory evaluation of the surroundings reveals that there is some semblance of movement on the inside, though it seems to be, for the most part, very shadowy, very furtive movements. You don't see anything that stands out as a person or an animal or anything, just movement of a very fairly undefined quality. There are exits. There's a porch in the back, a very rickety gate that goes around that one with some effort could quite easily get over top of or probably even if they had a mind to smash through. And beyond that, there does seem to be some rather large windows, bay windows of sorts that look out over the thickets on the other side of the building. But beyond that, you were supposed to be meeting a rather sizable group of individuals whose interest was that of the entire city. So you would expect to see probably more full-bodied movement than what you're seeing. But at the same time, it's, it's hard to tell. The sun is shining down on the windows and making it fairly difficult to see anything with any specificity. The dog, however, seems to be rather ambivalent. Doesn't seem to pick up really anything. It's just kind of wandering around as curious, it seems, as you are. I give him a disappointed look, but then I, I feed him a biscuit. Just reluctantly. He ha- He's not a good boy at this point, but he deserves a biscuit all the same. I love the idea of you having separate treats for mood. That's a disappointed treat. That's not a good boy treat or, or a bad boy treat. It's a disappointed boy Just to clarify, we do we have like limited uses on our equipment or can we just like use that indefinitely? Uh, I, I would imagine that it's probably unlimited in its usage. You know, the batteries on those things have a tendency to die maybe after... I've used a ghost box before and I... Th- think it ran for about a couple of hours before it it gave up the ghost so to speak so yeah i mean you could kind of turn these on and off at your at your leisure the ghost box is something that you would generally keep running uh, but for the fact that it could be somewhat annoying with just random noises and voices jabbing at you every now and then conceivably you could turn the 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 volume down and just kind of have it at your side walking around with it if you chose to Hmm. okay so dodge newton uh, is kind of strolling about, kind of wandering away from the group, kind of airheaded. And he kind of just like looks back at the rest of the skeleton crew and says, Well, I say we just go on inside. It's getting a little, uh, a little chilly out here. And he kind of walks towards the door, seeing if anyone will just take a leap of faith with him. Oh, yeah, standard, standard procedures. As you walk towards the door, you do see... A silhouette of sorts. It's not full-bodied yet again, but there does seem to be the general outline of a person standing in the door, recessed into the shadows. What is sticking out of the shadows, however, is what looks to be a coaster of tea. I hope y'all don't mind, but I have prepared tea. Come right in. There's uh, lots of room for y'all, and uh, we've just been all kinds of itching for conversation. Please, please come this way. And then the saucer and its holder withdraw into the darkness, summarily erasing them. Uh, so I look back at the rest of the skeleton crew, kind of like over my shoulder, and then I look back in the door and I say, "Well, don't mind if I do. And I just walk on inside and I don't take my shoes off. Oh, Phil. 
So you're 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 walking right into the house immediately? <laughs> no. <laughs> I say that with with a very large solipsis. As Dodge Newton steps towards the door frame, he thinks to himself, I better check. And he swings around the harrow box and he looks down on it, places it firmly down on the ground. And he says, Ain't it's time to talk to the undead. He asks the question, is this house safe? And he just kind of stares at it, just like an open ended question and stares at the harrow box. Having planted firmly the harrow box down on the ground and sat down next to it, you begin to play around with the plechette. Now, of course, the harrow box has little drawers that you can place things in to facilitate greater communications with the spirit world. But having just more or less uh, an off-the-cuff kind of reading, you feel a gentle tugging on the plechette as it kind of plays around the letters, committing to no specific one. But as it does so, you begin to see that the word horn begins to form and then drops dead like a hamster choking on a bone oh wait that doesn't sound good hamsters drop dead often from choking on bones they shouldn't first of all hamsters are vegetarians they shouldn't have bones in their mouth in the first place let alone attempting to chew one so I would imagine, should they give the effort any real sincere uh, uh, wherewithal, they would choke. And quickly, as did the plichette fall like a hamster choking on a bone, where it once hovered. You said it spelled out horn? It spelled out the word horn. As the word horn forms, you hear another voice. The voice is off into the distance, yet again, the shadows, and you can't make out a form at all. Just a voice coming at you from the darkness. A harrow box. What a fine and ingenious little device. I've always heard of them, never seen one, drawers and whatnot, hairs and bones and things you could stick in the drawers to find out the most marvelous of obscure facts and details. Why, you're most welcome here. Please, please come in and enjoy a cup of tea, maybe coffee, or perhaps... Soda pop. How many of you are in there? Amira calls out because, and then she turns around to the rest of the crew. I really don't think we should go in until we know just how many there are. It's supposed to be the entire neighborhood watch. Oh, I think we should definitely go in. Oh, definitely. I mean, come on, this is this is getting interesting. There's a bunch of us in here. Just come on in here. We we all got some ghost stories to tell you. I mean, I had my, I got to tell you, my walls was bleeding and all kinds of stuff. I mean, ah, oh, crazy. Come on in. Let's talk about this stuff. I'm just. Oh, do you have samples? Jack is going to march right in now. Uh, absolutely. As is, as is Dr. Sebastian. I found no sense of movement. Therefore, that means there's no one in there. And thus, we shouldn't be afraid. As I'm staring down at my harrow box, kind of looking at them as I was the one leading the charge and everyone's looking at me crazy. And then I'm like <laughs> considering the answer. I'm like, did y'all not just see it said horn? Horn is never good. Rufus just sighs and says, oh, I saw it, Dodge. I saw it. And I've got a, a bottle of whiskey in my satchel. And I'm just looking around for a rag, maybe, because I'm thinking this house is full of ghosts. I'm going to try and make a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> Because <laughs> these two sciencey people are—they're going to go in. They're going to get fucked up, and I need to be ready. 
Science is about shining the light into the faces of the desperately ominous, and that's what we're going to do. Science is about taking samples of possible ghost blood. Also ghost blood samples, yes. Ghost blood. Ghost blood, oh yes. That's great. Great, Sebastian. That's great, Jack. You you have fun, you two, now. Science, no one is going to rescue you if you go in there and you get pulled apart by the ghosts. It would make an excellent paper, though, right? Full corporeal manifestation with disembowelment. That's, that's pretty rare. Yes, ghosts can't make physical contact. That's why they're ghosts. You know, no one's ever been hurt by a ghost. Could you imagine, though, if they could? Oh, We'd, we'd, we'd make the nationals. <laughs> yes. Dare say the tabloids. So who is deciding to brazenly break over the threshold and who is deciding perhaps wisely to stay outside? <laughs> Not that my words should influence a single thing that you do. <laughs> Look, in my bio, I wrote Jack is unusually confident, so I'm absolutely running in there. I have written, got something to prove. I'm just not sure what yet. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in there as well. <laughs> arm in arm. Those of you who cross the threshold notice that the house is very clean, very modern, but very empty. The aesthetic is, well, I suppose you could say it's of, 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 a, of a timely suburban kind, uh, fairly well-to-do. Everything in its place and a place for everything. There's backsplash on the countertop. That's the word I'm looking for. Countertop. Word of the day, countertop. And there is a little island in the center where there is indeed some tea, some coffee, some soda pop, and some baked items, like, for instance, cookies and muffins scattered around the tray. However, you don't see anyone. The lighting is modest. Modest is the word we like to use here. There is just a little bit of of accent lighting in the kitchen, and most of the light is being afforded by the daylight coming through the open windows. But of people, nothing. Hmm. Certainly no one resembling the individual who you vaguely caught a glimpse of earlier on, and no one else from uh, the, well, they didn't have any conversations with them, but from the fact that they did speak momentarily to you, you see no one of those individuals. Just an empty room filled with a few niceties and some treats. I'm so glad y'all came in here. Now, uh, I can't remember the name that y'all go by. Is it is it the the poltergeist? We, we don't like talk that? about the poltergeist. No, 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 <laughs> no. Please don't confuse us with the poltergeist. That is an ongoing lawsuit, and we'd rather not get <laughs> get caught up in that again. No. I understand completely. We can't see anyone, right? You said we can't see anyone, but we're hearing someone. You're hearing them from the shadows of the room, which are few and far between. There aren't really, there isn't really anywhere for a full-sized human being to kind of recess themselves into to speak to you. But from those areas of the house that you can't see very clearly, around corners, things like that, the voice seems to be coming from. I'm presuming I I don't recognize there's no one in there because I'm too busy fiddling with various knobs and dials to, uh, I'm just assuming there's people there. They'd show up if they were ghosts, so clearly, clearly there's someone there. I just can't find them yet. Your instrumentation seems to reveal a kind of schizophrenic representation of various energies popping into and out of metric representation across the uh, screen that you're looking at, which is an output of the machine that you've never seen before. Usually there's a kind of orderly progression from nothing to some kind of modest abnormality in the environment's electromagnetic field or something along those lines. 
Whereas this seems to be popping on and off a kind of popcorn of metrics that make very little sense, but certainly stand out to you as being extraordinarily unusual. I did bring out some tea for y'all if you're interested. I hope you do stay and uh, enjoy some of them. They're very tasty. I made that coffee myself. Hmm. Uh, Jack's going to look around. Amira's going to follow Jack around, but at a safer distance. And specifically, she wants to see if the coffee is actually warm. You touch the side of the saucer, and it is indeed warm. A voice comes from the cellar. I understand that you, uh, you guys, um, what, you chase, go, you beat him up, you wrestle him, what do you do with him? Uh, you got a club? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I myself, I mean, I don't believe in all that malarkey, but uh, I gotta say I've seen some stuff, but um, can you give us a little bit of an idea what you do to the ghosts when you find them? Do you, you beat them up, uh, pin them, uh, you gotta tap them out, what do you do? Well, we're not really in the in the physical area of things. We're a very tray, uh, tray, uncouth. Hmm, yes. Um... Uh, do uh, where are you, uh, uh, uh Monsieur? <laughs> Why we are all around you, speaking to you, watching you, enjoying you. So please have a seat and talk with us. We've been waiting for a while. Amira's just muttering to herself repeatedly, saying, "I told you it was a bad idea. I told you it was a bad idea. We shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be here." And she's clutching her book closer and closer to her chest, but she doesn't make a move to leave. Now I am referencing my cheat sheet. John, are you still outside? So Rufus is just smoking a cigarette. He's smoking a cigarette outside in the sun, but with an expression on his face that makes it clear that if he hears the others need help, he will reluctantly go in and try and help them. But for now, he's just sulking outside. You do hear that they're talking inside, but you can't really make out anything specific. But what you have noticed while you've been taking up porch area is that there is some movement just outside, well, just at the same kind of range that you've been experiencing any and everyone in the city. Just slightly out of range for a specific concept as to how they would look or their dimensions in specific, but there seem to be people milling around on the other side of the street. Whatever they're doing, you can't tell, but they are there. You hear voices, there's movement, but beyond that, it's very hard to make out what they're doing. It's almost like a crowd milling for no particular reason, and there is some semblance of sound coming from them. The sound of a crowd, but yet again, all minced and merged together, making no coherent sense to you. Does Captain seem scared? Is he bothered by them? He's looking in their direction. He seems to be interested in them in the sense as, uh, say, for instance, a dog might be interested in a squirrel. He's excited to see what it is, but he doesn't seem to have any definitive opinion on the matter. He's not growling. He's not wagging his tail. He's just pulling gently in the direction of the crowd. Okay, I'm going to look at Dodge and just say... Ask your box, mate. Horn of what? Horn of what? You're you're looking at the box. Oh, sorry. I'm I'm looking at Dodge, asking him what's his box telling us about what's going on here because it's got to be able to do better than just saying horn. That's so ambiguous. Tell the box, Dodge. Hey, listen here, you matchstick box. I'm gonna need a little bit more from you. And I reach over. I'm assuming there's a bit of a like a garden in front of the window, maybe. Uh, there's all little, you know, little bits of, of sticks and, and uh, cut grass and things like that. Are there flowers? 
like a pansy anything. There is indeed a very, very tall, almost paragonic pansy. Paragonic? Oh. All right, so Dodge reads, uh, reaches over. I'm going to just burrow this for a second and just snaps the head of the pansy off and puts it inside the drawer of the Harrow box. And he looks up at Rufus and he goes, let's see if we can do a little bit better this time. And then looks down at the box and says, all right, horn of what? Feeling shame to the very marrow of your soul for destroying something beautiful, <laughs> such as this paragonic pansy, having sacrificed it for a small tidbit of information, you slide it into the box as you would a love day into a coffin. And it begins to spell out Galen Hornbeam. Galen Hornbeam? Oh, what a good name. Okay, Galen Hornbeam. Meanwhile, inside, you continue to hear the voices coming from upstairs, downstairs, vague locations throughout the house. I was just wondering if there was uh, anything you need to ask us about our respective uh, experiences with the supernormal. We have plenty to tell you. Right, okay, look, look. Uh, this is with uh, Dr. Sebastian finally looking up from instrumentation to see there's no one else in the house. Bloody hell. <laughs> this, is, this is pretty bloody impressive. Is everyone here dead or is it... Is it, is it uh, are we the only living people here? This is, uh, this is amazing. Why, no. We're all alive, son. We're just sitting all around here having a pleasant conversation about all the strange things been getting up to in this here city of Blackwell. Now, I don't know what kind of machine y'all using, but it's clearly in need of repair because it ain't working. We all alive, son. We all around you. We all eager to talk to you. Now, please. Let's let's not start casting aspirations on the machinery yes, now. Um, there's, there's no call for that. Uh, you I know. have no reason to cast aspersions upon your fine and pristine device, only that it seems to be in contradiction to the facts. We alive. We here. Hold, and okay. we eager to talk. Hold, hold, me, Jack. hold me back, Jack. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Fact and instrumentation, okay, go together like like apple and pie, right? You can't just you can't just separate out the two. I absolutely understand everything he's saying. Now you don't understand the nature of the paranormal at all, and I have to say, as a member of this community, that I do find the disparagement of a particular line of inquiry, such as his, to be absolutely unconscionable. And if you do it again, I swear to whatever god I probably swore off years ago as an atheist, I will take action against you immediately. Now, allow them to speak and stop disparaging the things, whatever they happen to be, even though that particular object outside of the door happens to be a hero box, which I would like to look at a bit closer. But anyway, please continue. All right, then. Uh, I, 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 as a member of this here community, I just wanted to say that I appreciate y'all coming, even if you ain't drinking no coffee, drinking no tea, eating no muffins or the cookies or whatnot. But uh, what y'all want? Well, I shall take some... Samples, if that is uh, all right with you. Um, I, 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 I open my jacket and bring out pipettes and uh, small sealed plastic bags, and I and I <laughs> and I take a sample of the tea and a sample of the coffee and a little bit of muffin and put them back away again. I'm like, right, so you're all invisible. Uh, you insist that you are uh, uh, 
uh, alive, I, I assume. Um, so what do you think has has happened? Uh, I shall I shall make myself comfortable and um, I shall record. Well, I certainly have tales to tell. Uh, what I think is going on here in this city? Well, let me see. Every single one of us has been afflicted by the supernatural in one way or the other as to the specifics of that particular uh, haunting this or that. I would say that in my own case, y'all believe in werewolves, do you? Uh, absolutely not. But if you can find me one, I'd be very interested. Hmm. Yes. Well, I'm glad that y'all interested, because Dave's haunted the outside of this house for quite some time, trying to get it break through the wind to eat my kin. In other instances, other things have happened, not necessarily werewolves. As a matter of fact, as I was sitting inside of my own home, I couldn't help but notice a certain axe-wielding lady moving about my house at the late hours of the evening. I don't want to tell you that seeing a woman with a giant axe in her hand moving about your home is enough to put you off your nut for a moment. That was my particular experience with the paranormal, and it is only one of many. There are so many things going on here, I can't even begin to enumerate them. I, uh, I'm kind of a contractor, you know, I do a lot of work around here that used to be fixed pipes and tubers and all that kind of sh- Whoop, I almost swore. Sorry, I don't mean to offend any of the delicate ears in the room. I know I'm a little bit more of a saucy fella, so I'll try to keep my, uh, my liggity to somewhat of a more, uh, a polite, uh, tone. Anyway, I was out under one of the houses fixing a pipe that had produced a, a leak, you know, and, uh, couldn't help but notice some, uh, hands coming out of the ground at me. To say the least, it's a little bit too, it's a little much. So, you know, I left, I reported it to the neighborhood committee and whatnot. We got together, had a little sit down, talked about things, and here we are. All together talking about these ghostly things that go on. But uh, what can you do to help us? Well, sorry to sorry to sort of rain on the parade here. I'm hearing a lot of anecdotal hearsay, okay? And and you'll have to forgive me, but right now, you know, uh, on the broad spectrum of reliable sources, a large empty house does not track particularly highly. Could I ask, is it possible that you could point us perhaps in the direction of Mabel Cattlebury, who is, of course, the person who requested our services? You see, if we can make contact with her, then maybe we could organize this in some kind of hierarchical structure. I mean, I'm not trying to tread on your toes, uh, Amira, but uh, there's a lot of touchy-feely human things going on here, and that's not really my scene. I'd rather just have a nice, clear remit, if that's okay. Well, I'm right here, darling. I've been here the whole time. I just want to talk to you on the phone. Well, that's just thoroughly confusing. Okay, give, just give me a moment to process that one. Absolutely. I talked to you on the phone, well, I don't know how long ago, sweetheart, but it was a while ago. I think I done told you that there was some strange paranormal activity in my house, up to but not including the killing of my animals and such. That was what eventually brought me to the point where I thought I needed to bring in some help. And of course, a neighborhood organization decided to help me out with that, and we gave you a call, and here y'all are. Amira speaks up for the first time. She's been scribbling furiously in her notepad, pausing sometimes, changing pages, and then she says, Is the whole neighborhood watch here with you? Why, yes, it is. 
Who is the individual who has the laptop or tablet that has a kind of massive uh, amount of paranormal data stored on it? That's me. I've got that. You have heard a few things from the invisible community that seems to be surrounding you. Um, if you would like to check your repository of data... I would. Um, I'm going to uh, control F invisible control f werewolf control f pets dying <laughs> you do find that there is a, a fairly well-known story a bit of folklore actually it's not even really folklore there's a lot of real people attached to the story about a family that lived in a house there's a picture of the house and that they were besieged one night by what they claimed were wolf-like creatures, which folklore and the following news reports would then later term werewolves. And this happened approximately, I think, 10 to 15 years ago. What was described to you was fairly consistent. And of course, the story of the woman with the axe can't help but to be confused, perhaps, with the Lizzie Borden case. Not that it necessarily connects itself, but... Of the information that you have at hand, those are the only two things that kind of pop up in your data catalog. Hmm. What happens if I type in Black Willow? Black Willow pops up as just this, basically the same information that you were given to before. It was built by the Strickland Construction Company and is currently in the hands of the Windy Property Management Group. They have a little bit of information with respect to the vetting process that they level upon any uh, possible individuals who would want to move into the area. They vet everyone quite thoroughly. Helen, I love the implication that we just didn't Google it. We set out on this adventure. We're not going to Google where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back we are in the haunted house. I would like to ask Rufus. You are a man steeped in occult lore, or at least the tales of the occult, correct? That's right. Would you please give me a knowledge roll? Okay, is that D100? Yep. 20. As you're standing outside, you can't help but to notice a few things begin to kind of melt into your awareness. The house that they entered looks vaguely familiar to you, but not nearly as familiar as the house down the street. Its signature windows uh, seem to recall a certain house from Amityville, a certain Amityville <gasps> horror house. And then as you look at a number of the other houses, there are features that stand out to you as well. Houses that are extraordinarily well-known to be haunted. Though you can't be 100% sure, they do seem to be remarkably familiar to the ones that you're most familiar with. I, I give Dodge a nudge and I say, so my nephew, he made me watch this, this, this shite film, right? And it was called Ready Player One. And everything was jammed together in one world. And it was a bit like that, see? I think we're in a Ready Player One of hauntings. I look at Rufus with this look of befuddlement, kind of trying to gauge what it is he exactly just said. And then I just kind of, okay, all right, uh, player uh, one ready. Uh, anyways, what do you say we do about it? Uh, well, those two science numpties, they may be numpties, but there are numpties, all right? So we're going to go in there. We're going to tell them what we've seen. This place, it's changing, depending on, on, on what's familiar to you, see? So, I, Dodge, what kind of ghost do you know about best? Well, it, at present, it seems I only know about a Galen Hornbeam. Um, 
but I'm down to, you know, shake some fail, tail feathers and, uh, you know, break some branches as we go here. Now, when you say the name Galen Hornbeam, is anyone else listening, do they hear the name as well, or are you outside of the earshot of everyone else? Are you saying this with the intention of being overheard? I'm just like an old man who's not very, like, socially aware, so I'm like, I only know about Galen Hornbeam, like, kind of with, like, disdain almost at Rufus for, like, some accusation he didn't make. So I'm imagining I'm saying it kind of loud. And... I wanted to, Amira wanted, was just about to walk and look out of the window to check on Dodge and Rufus, and she hears the last latter part, so she hears the words Galen Hornby. Who has the ghost box? Me, I think. Portable ghost box, a unique version. The ghost box immediately begins to speak. Once the name Galen Hornbeam has been enunciated loud enough and clearly enough that it seems to have taken it as an input. Ooh. It begins to say something about Avery Bowers. Contracted Avery Bowers. Wealthy. Paranormal. It repeats this for several seconds and then goes quiet. That name stands out pretty, pretty loudly to to those of you with a very pronounced scientific, formal, paranormal background. Avery Bowers was all the rage back in the 70s when the paranormal was more or less accepted as a kind of academic peer to psychology. He went on and on about how there was a kind of, as he referred to, crypto-natural foundation to the paranormal that it was more or less a kind of secret science that one could learn about. He had produced a theory. It was called Discarnation Theory, How Life and Death Conjure Gods from the Dust. He was very well received by his peers and was well on his way to becoming somewhat of a paranormal superstar until the bottom fell out of the supernatural paranormal movement in the early 80s, and it was more or less, that is to say, the field of the paranormal discredited as a legitimate academic pursuit, a pursuit, and was more or less remanded to the margin of science, and that's being charitable with regards to where it was placed. Aside from the name drop, of course, and the history that those of you with a background in the formal paranormal sciences, he hasn't really shown up anywhere. Uh, he was very popular for a period of time, and that was about it. But his work was fairly well known and stood out amongst his peers because he was the only one trying to assert a kind of scientific framework to understand and deconstruct the paranormal. Um, I'm going to start speaking loudly into the uh, into the ghost box. Go say, Avery Bowers is uh, 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 Avery Avery Bowers, and then I'm going to start repeating, uh, Galen Hornbeam, get gay Galen Hornbeam Horn, Hornbeam, comma Galen, Horn, and just like I'm going to repeat both of those names as many times as possible to see if I can get a. Um, Another similar response. For goodness sake, Jack, you've got to establish a control before you start introducing variables. Oh, um... The Queen. <laughs> Tom Smith. <laughs> Tom Smith. Okay, now go. Amira, you begin to sense an enclosure of sorts, a kind of psychic effulgence that is more or less moving away from you. You didn't have a definitive sense of it before, but now it just seemed almost as if it just kind of popped onto the to the sonar, a radar. Something surrounding you, but now receding. And as that occurs, you begin to sense the presence of something else moving towards you from the outside, even above the house. 
And as that happens, a voice crackles into the speaker of the ghost box. That son of a bitch. That... Ugh. He cheated me. He took my money. He took my legacy. He built this city on my theory. I would caution the lot of you to get out and to get out now if you don't want to be a part of all of this. Oh, uh, hello. Who are you? Hello, greetings. Uh, uh, Sava. Hmm. Avery Bowers is my name. Ah. Deducing the nature of the supernatural universe is my game. Pleasure. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I have to, I have to, I have to intrude here. Avery Bowers, are you really saying you've become a victim of your own disincarnation theory? Because the irony would be just palpable. It's absolutely insurmountable, the irony that I'm pinned under now like a gigantic mountain thrown atop my back from the heavens. It's indescribably disgusting what has been done to me. My benefactor conned me into this, telling me that he would reveal to the world the sincerity, the accuracy of my theory. And he murdered me for it. Oh. Murdered me so that he might be given a chance. That'll be quite enough of that. And then it goes dead. The room now seems completely empty. Whatever kind of unaccountable weirdness you were feeling before when the voices were upon you seems to have vanished. Amira says, I really think that we should listen to Avery Bowman. He did say for us to get out, so I suggest we leave. And she starts walking slowly backwards towards the door. Oh, come on, if we left every time a ghost said get out, we'd never have found a ghost in the first place. We should investigate this. This sounds like a... This is not just a matter of murder, but of academic theft and plagiarism. Which is far more important, I might add. Yes, we cannot stand for this. Might I suggest that we perhaps reconvene as a group and play another game of Wild Hypothesis? I do enjoy Wild Hypothesis, and it feels like we've got a good solid grounding for a nice round of it. As you discuss the nature of what's been going on, you begin to hear something quite different from what you've been hearing thus far. The scraping and snorting and pounding of hooves somewhere down into the basement, and the movement of something large. Sorry, hooves in the basement. It's a headless horseman. Bonus points for maximum creepy. Hooves should never be in a basement. I hate it and I love it. That's <laughs> such a bizarre image to my brain. Ah, who's in the basement? No, grew up around horses. Hooves don't go in the basement. That's so weird. That's so unnecessarily weird. Whatever it is, it's definitely large, and it begins to make a very distinct snorting sound, as if a gigantic pig were wandering aimlessly beneath you. Can Rufus and I hear any of this from outside, or are we just kind of like shrugging at each other and like looking about and drinking out of his little flask? Those of you on the outside of the house haven't really heard too much going on on the inside of the house, but now you begin to hear something almost like the creaking of beams, as if, something, as if the house were trying to hold up something that it was barely capable of holding up. And Captain has now very, very, very noticeably taken up interest in the house, has turned around, his hackles raised, and is growling and frothing in the direction of the house. Uh, Jack says, Uh... Oh. On question, uh, shall we find out what that is, or shall we scarper? I mean, sometimes science requires a broad perspective. Uh, often, often distance can allow for a certain breadth of perspective. Though, perhaps, if 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 you wanted to stay and examine it, whilst I took a a broader a broader perspective on the situation, that would be that would be fine. 
I think it might be best for us all to uh, examine this from outside. I really feel as if uh, my spirit guide is telling us to go. So let's go check on our friends outside and we can we can have a look and maybe examine the back, the back end of the property as well. And we can always come back later. Of course we can, of course we can. And besides, we can't leave them out there on their own. They can't be trusted. <laughs> I'm going to go now. Uh, Sebastian, just flees. <laughs> just flees. Your spirit guide seems to be filling your mind with an image. It slowly, slowly melts into focus in your mind. And it seems to be a picture of the basement. And at first, you see what looks to be a very, very young girl holding a doll. And she seems to be walking very forlornly towards the stairs. And then the image changes, and the image of the little girl descends into the monstrous shape of a gigantic pig, only slightly larger than, say, a hippo. Eyes burning like red coals, hooves glowing and burning black against the solid stone basement floor. And then suddenly the vision stops. Gotta go. Amira chases after, uh... Dr. Sebastian Sinclair, BSc, MSc, PhD. (laughs) (laughs) I'll call you Seb. After Seb. (laughs) Jack is going to follow, but he's going to attempt to do so in like a confident saunter because can't let anyone see that he's actually a bit scared of what sounds like a massive pig (laughs) in the basement. Mark, are they going to make it out the door yet? Are you kind of running or are you just kind of casually making your way out the door? Oh, I'm cash. Oh, I'm I'm trotting as quickly as you can whilst not actively running because, you know, I'm I'm not running. I'm just I'm just reevaluating the situation from further away. I'm running. I'm running. My spirit guide has told me I need to run. (laughs) You breach the shadows on the the inside of the house for the... uh, porch, and those of you on the outside of the house can see the group is now exiting with what might be construed as a certain expression of concern, to say the very least, as they make their way outside. And those of you entering the outside, if you'll allow me to say that, notice that Captain is quite angry looking. A snarl curls his lips, his eyes are now quite focused, froth pouring from his exposed raw red gums and his teeth hanging stalactite-like, or is it stalagmite? over the edge of his lips. At us or at the situation? Um, you're not sure which, but he does seem to be quite angry and he is looking in your direction. Uh, give give the dog a wide berth, you know, animals very unpredictable. <laughs> Moving around the dog, it definitely seems as if he's more concentrated on the house than anyone else, staring into the spaces you've just recently vacated. What you see, boy? The dog continues to bark, and as he continues to bark... There now seems to be a bit of competition for sonic supremacy within the air as his barks are sharply challenged by what now seem to be hellacious grunts rising up from the bowels of the house. Grunts that could belong only to an oversized swine. Just to clarify, Rufus and Dodge can see them exiting the house, right? Yes. Okay. Where is everyone now? Are you all on the porch or outside on the sidewalk or even the street? Uh, I'm closing the door. My, my equipment requires a good sort of middle of the street distance <laughs> for maximum resolution. <laughs> it's a resolution question. It's, enti- it's entirely an equipment uh, calibration issue. Is anyone on the porch? Everyone is pretty much on the street then? I'm off. I'm off the porch. I'm closer to the street. I think Jack. Jack is still closing the door. I will I will have come off the porch as well, but I will have made sure to shut the door. You all achieve a reasonably safe distance if safety is what you're seeking from the house when 
The door closed at this point. You see that there is a uh, a glass insert to the door with a small curtain overhanging it. The curtain moves to the side as you see what looks to be a small girl now peering out the door, staring at you with eyes that are unblinking, face pale, almost little more than a ghost hovering in the darkness that you left behind. She then gently replaces the curtains to their natural hanging position, and that's the last you see of her. And the grunting summarily ends. Ah, uh, no, no, that is not... We, we have no evidence that there is a were-pig on the premises. Um, we, I, that's the thing. In fact, I saw so much of nothing that that's actually kind of interesting from here in the middle of the street. Well, I didn't say anything. Did you say anything? Wait, did you you see a were-pig? I think the evidence uh, is, is my my eyes and my spirit guide, Amira, interrupts. She's getting... Uh, She's getting a little tired of all the science because it's clear the ghosts are after them. I, I look at Rufus and I kind of give him like a like a like a nod, like an old man nod, like a like yes, a were pig. I'm pretty sure that's what I say. Eyes mate, that's a sudden were pig. <laughs> Oi, you science science books. We got to tell you right. So that house down the street, that's the Amityville house, right? And all the houses on the street. Do you not recognise any of them? Well, I think I think you might be quite incorrect there because we're not in Amityville, are we? No, we're we're in Black Willow, so <laughs> that's that's a pretty silly hypothesis, I think. It's a wild hypothesis. <laughs> oh, oh yes, oh if we're playing wild hypothesis, right, I'm on board. Okay. Okay, so Dr. Sinclair, would you please give me a knowledge roll? Uh sure. Ah, that's better. 43. Recalling the Amityville case in specific, you know that it was the focus of a tremendous amount of paranormal research. Scientific mavens of all stripes descended upon the house after the story broke, trying to figure out what exactly had happened there. But one of the more interesting manifestations that were said to have taken place in the house was that of a giant pig who went by the name Jody, and that the little girl who lived in the house at the time... I believe her last name was Lutz, claimed to have spoken to a little girl who she called Jody, who later on, the parents of the little girl, saw as a giant pig. Okay, okay, right, yes. I, th- I think it's prime time for a game of Wild Hypothesis, so uh, I, 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 I would like to gently suggest there, Rufus, that um, since you've provided the first hypothesis, why don't you expound a little bit while I um, calibrate? Rufus just sort of rug, rocks smugly back on his haunches, like, well, well, well. <laughs> Captain Science has taken a turn for the worse. Now, now see you. Doctor Science, thank you. I didn't go to medical school to be a captain. <laughs> Take that, Doctor Science. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Rufus expounds very carefully upon his theory, which is that this, this town appears to be indeed an ordinary town, but is some kind of manifestation of all of the greatest hauntings the world has ever known. It may be subjective, it may be caused by the ghost hunter's own recollections of these experiences, uh, or indeed it may be objective, indicating um, this place is simply generating psychic power somehow from all of history's greatest hauntings. He says this in a West Country accent and with none of that fancy language. Something's coming to mind. Now, you'll forgive me for being ever so slightly... um, uh abstracted here but i'm presume that you're all you know well aware of the uh space-time ramifications of black hole rotation yes it's not my specialist subject 
but uh, uh, do do go on and refresh refresh more memory. Now again, I apologize for teaching Granny to suck eggs here, but you know when you have a super massive black hole and they they sometimes rotate, you can you you get those space time compression factors because of all the gravity, and as it rotates, it it causes a certain spiral ripple where you get things layered on top of one another and and so on and so on, and basically you know sciency wiency weird stuff happens. I wonder if I was very very wealthy and bloody hated Avery Bowers, what if I just shipped all of the spookiest things I could possibly find into one place to sort of make that happen in an eldritch sense? Is your theory eldritch black hole? You're saying that is the Amityville house? Yes, but deliberately built. Kind of like a puff pastry, I see. Bizarrely, yes. As you speak the words, the ghost box begins to sound off again. He has been observing the various fusions of discarnate energy that have been released over the course of his experiment, noting the specific personalities and shapes that develop. He's been activating only certain grids of the city, controlled expressions that have been recorded and observed. Depending on the grids he activates, he can create many, many kinds of things. All right, you're going to have to give me hard evidence there. You can't just say all kinds of things. What specifically do you mean, dear person in the ghost box? Roll your... Let's see, how would I do that? Try your knowledge. Roll your knowledge, if you would, please. Ooh, that's 87. You poke and prod at the voice box verbally, kind of trying to force it into some kind of confession. And it does begin to crackle back into life again. His idea was to collect all the haunted locations into one place, a sort of fetish, if you would. Are you familiar with quantum mechanics, the concept of supersymmetry? Creating a thing so much like another thing allows those two things to share, like twins. Creating enough of these fetishes allows him to draw from the energy of the original massing discarnate energy for his own purposes. Ah, Eldritch Black Hole! Called it! Totally called it! Eldritch Black Hole! It's Ready Player One! Rufus, you can have a secondary credit for com- for noticing the houses, but you know, you might you might get bounded under et al, and that's fine too. So uh, if, it, if it's Ready Player One, then where's the Willy Wonka, right? The Willy Wonka who's done all this, if we want to shut this down, we've got to find him, right? <laughs> I don't remember the film that well, but there was a Willy Wonka. I, I recall that. Sorry, the fact that you're mixing Willy Wonka and Ready Player One together is just the best mixed metaphor. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand, Jack. What? What mixed? What? Oh, oh, oh! So a mixed metaphor is where you begin you begin describing something in a in a particular way, which is a common say, saying, and you end it in a particular way, which is another common saying, like um, like uh, the shoe is on the other boot, <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, point is, yes, uh. Uh, not the the Galen Galen Horn Hornbeam. It seems would be at the root of uh this uh phenomenon. All right. Mm? Well, yes. I, I I don't understand this talk about mixed metaphors, but <laughs> if as you say Galen Hornbeam's behind this, then we need to grasp the nettle by the horns and, and go find him, right? Where if I were a Galen Hornbeam, where would I be? As you stand out collected in a fairly 
I wouldn't, well, you're collected into a small crowd, you begin to notice that the city gives up yet again some sounds. Sounds that a normal city was probably uh, likely to make, except this one hasn't shown to be uh, particularly lively by way of having an actual population. But you begin to notice that there are people around you, yet again at that strange distance, milling around, walking, some of them staring at you. And at one point, distant though they may be, you think you see some of them standing on their rooftops gawking at you. Oh, hello up there! The box chirps back into life. Digested down to the whites of their spirits, their sheeted ghosts, all of them. Why not join the club? Now, I would like to draw people's attention to a word, uh, a word I'm very fond of called spaghettification. It's what happens when you fall into a black hole. I'm just going to throw it out there and say that if someone's made a big old eldritch black hole, we might be getting spaghettified right now. I don't feel very spaghetti-y. Do you? Well, fun fact about uh, time dilation effects is you don't feel spaghettified until your feet are so far away, you know, that you you explode. Oh. Dodge Newton looks across the street at the people milling about and he's eyeing the people up on the rooftop confused and just kind of like shouts out, Hey, folks, do you know anything about Eldritch pastry or spaghettification? Yes, spaghettification, the progressive process one goes through when falling into the heart of a black hole, taken apart by a molecule, atom by subatomic particle, until one is but a long stream of unliving particulate qualities. Yes, that thing. It's so nice to have a new colleague who can help me out on these things. Hey, <laughs> that's not a disparagement on you. You know, I'm sure you're very good, good with your goo and your, your scoopy uh, thingies. D- could have valuable DNA evidence in here. <laughs> I'll have you know. While they bicker, can I look to see, is there kind of a heart of the town? Is there an obvious centre that we could be heading towards or anything, any landmarks? As you move around, there's almost this kind of, almost a perpetual graying of the distance which occurs, and as you move forward, it kind of unravels a little bit, revealing more of the vistas of the city. And as you take your your view from a little bit further ahead of the group, you can see that there is a large hill peering out or down at the city itself, almost like some grim beacon. Perched atop of it is a rather sizable house. One might go so far as to refer to it as a castle. Oh, yeah. We're going to go in a spooky castle. <laughs> Big arrow pointing down. This here be where he is. <laughs> doesn't, that actually doesn't happen. <laughs> it's fine. Just turn on the uh, quest tips and we'll just follow that, right? Exactly. But first, there'd be a fetch quest to be had. <laughs> Does this castle resemble anything that we recognize? Is it is it the Outlook Hotel or is it uh, Dracula's castle? What kind of castle are we talking here? The best way to describe it, given the fact that it seems to be informed by several conflicting architectural kinds of spirits, is a kind of Frankensteinian castle, if you will, built from a variety of different houses and buildings, all of which seem to hint at their origin in some kind of malefic haunted enterprise. The structure of the building, for those of you in the paralogical know, or para-supernatural know, there seems to be features of the Lizzie Borden house, the Fox Hollow farmhouse, the infamous haunt of the serial killer known as Herb Baumeister, even the Bell Witch House. There are overtures that seem to haunt its aesthetic. 
which seemed to point to a mismatch, a kind of forced amalgamation of conflicting haunting themes. Well, Amira says, I guess we should go there? To, to stretch my analogy slightly too far, it could be that we're merely currently caught in the accretion disk, and if we were to just proceed closer beyond the event horizon, things might settle down, and if we can just sort of tread that line, we might find out what's going on in the middle, but, uh... I am mixing my metaphors here a little bit. I, I guess I'm just saying that maybe we should make like a banana and leave. But... but the discoveries! What if... Oh, I mean towards the discoveries, just, you know... Oh! Oh, well, yes, absolutely, let's go! I mean, sort of around giant pig girls and, and sort of between terrifying roof spectres and just sort of, you know, wiggle our way inwards a little bit. Just to be clear, you two, this place is a pit of evil. Do you not want to destroy it? Are you saying you want to keep it and study it? Well, I mean, evil's a strong word. You know, I prefer to think of it as a, a, a desperately dangerous career-defining opportunity that could allow me to re- uh, us to re-enter academic society. In learn about spaghettification. <laughs> and the sp- uh, spaghettification, yes. All right, we'll do it your way. I think it's a great place to go and set some souls at rest. Yes, of course, resting souls and all that good stuff too. I'm sure I'm sure someone needs a rest. If I catch you two science books weaponizing anywhere pigs, then there's going to be trouble, all right? That's brilliant. I mean, no, of course not, no. Pigs are omnivores, you know. They'll eat anything. <laughs> are they really? You and I should talk more. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the noble swine. As you discuss the swine, you hear a voice break out yet again. The ghost box, a convenient medium for communication. The damn thing ate me. Spit me out a couple times as well. Can you imagine that being suitable for a pig? Oh, dear. Rest in peace, Jack says to the box. As you begin... Well, actually, are you are you moving back away from the epicenter of all bad things, or are you... Further up and further in, then? Moving towards, right? I think we're just going to saunter down. Yeah, I thought we were going into it. I think you'll see, uh, Dr. Sinclair, you'll, you'll see a wonderful tension between the allure of uh, uh, academic redemption and basic self-preservation really like making every step count i think hey when to know what the dog thinks the dog is definitely very uncomfortable and is now no longer fixed his attention in any one specific direction but seems to be turning in a circle baring his fangs and growling that doesn't look promising at all i just rest a very kind of gentle hand on his back just like it's, it's gonna be okay boy it's gonna be okay i mean not necessarily Yes, Amira, Amira, Amira takes her uh, notebook out again, looks in it, and goes, "I don't think it's going to be okay for Rufus, but too quietly." <laughs> oh. <laughs> Rufus has no idea this has just been said. He's kind of he's looking quite optimistic about. All right, we're in this together, right, as a team. Absolutely. And remember, uh, Jack is going to launch into a speech about the rarity of anyone ever being harmed by ghosts and other incorporeal beings, um, citing several studies and uh, eyewitness accounts. As they're walking down, Amira just gently gets out of the way every so often because she can feel lots of ghosts around her. 
you can feel that on occasion there is, yet again, this kind of spiritual effulgence which pours itself out all around you, but it seems to be acting in a very unconventional way, at least using the word convention to, to describe how a psychic might normally feel. They feel surrounded oftentimes by a number of discarded entities, whereas this almost seems to have a kind of rhythm to it, almost a a mechanical quality to it, where the effulgence rises up and then falls back down again, almost like a heartbeat. And as you move forward into the city, you do begin to notice that process of rising up and falling back away again seems to intensify, as if that heartbeat were intensifying. Are you are you walking at a, are all of you walking at a fairly good uh, clip, or are you more or less kind of very carefully shuffling about? See, you saying that makes me want to say we're shuffling. Oh. <laughs> In which case, Jack is striding. <laughs> Amira is walking pretty fast, but not making as much headway as Jack because she's just constantly getting out of the way of ghosts. You're right, Amira. You sort of seem to be struggling with sea legs. As you move forward at a slow, slowish pace, you begin to see that the light slowly dies at a much more accelerated rate than it should. It's not by any stretch of the imagination late. It's probably around noonish. And you can already see the sky bleeding at the edges of the horizon. And you begin to recognize that for all of your walking, you seem to gain very little to no ground on your target. If that, of course, is the strange structure stacked on top of the hill. So to clarify, we're moving towards it, but it's not getting any closer. Correct. What a fascinating scientific phenomenon. Um, if I look behind me, where in relation is the house we were just at? to our progress you look behind you and you can see that the house is gone it does seem like you made progress walking down the streets a completely different complexion of buildings surrounds you but yet again the target of your quest seems no closer for your your efforts so would you like to know another fun fact about black holes yeah geez so due to time dilation and spatial dilation effects actually it's a fun fact no matter how far you travel the black hole always feels the same distance away so what do we do as far as analogies goes i I feel like i'm smashing this one right out of the park but it is always it is always inevitable that you will come into contact with the singularity eventually so we'll get there another fun little fact is every puff pastry you eat is just as good as the last one you eat they never get old either (laughs) Speaking of getting in the spirit of it, that's fine. Now everyone just... Would you like some strawberry laces? Do you have strawberry laces? Always. I hand out packets of strawberry laces. I munch the stra... I mean, (laughs) munch it. Amira eats some as well. She was getting pretty hungry all this dancing about. Can I ask? uh, Amira has a a crystal skull necklace. Does it do anything special? When you hold the crystal skull necklace and wander around the group, say... You notice the closer you get to the ghost box, the more the static seems to fall away and yield a much cleaner signal. Can I do a check on uh, the mule, which is the device of my own creation? I realise I'm getting sort of random scattered readings, but as I like, if I cast it about, do certain directions seem to be indicating more scattered or less scattered, or is it just noise? The noise seems to have concentrated into a kind of rhythm, very similar to the spiritual qualities that were described earlier. There is a rising and a uniform falling, the noise kind of consolidating into these troughs and uh, peaks, yes. The more you walk into the city, the more orderly those those signals seem to become. I wonder if maybe there's a timing element here. Oh? 
you know, like maybe, well, okay. So if, if there's a if there's a compression wave moving, that's a bad time to move because you're moving through more space in the same amount of time. Whereas if you're in a spatial nadir, you know, you can cover lots of space very quickly because it's sort of the same space stretched out. Do you know what I mean? I believe so. Uh, like a puff, like a puff pastry, you know, when you're eating just the crust. Bear with me, I, I, I'm really trying here. I'm there with you. If you're eating just the crust, it seems to take forever, but when you get to the gooey bits, it always goes so quickly. Okay, so based on your hey Putinist, I think I'm gonna try something here. Uh, I, I pull back the, the Harrow box that, once again, on my back like an acoustic guitar, like I'm an old jazz musician or something. <laughs> Great image. And I place it down on the ground once again. And I, I walk a few steps ahead and I take like a little bit of grass from one of the front lawns of the house and I place it in the drawer facing that direction. And I'm, I might be an idiot here, but Dodge Newton walks then in the opposite direction and pulls a little bit of like a, a hedge bush and puts it in the other the other drawer because there seems to be one on each side. And yep, there's uh, four drawers each each side of the uh, box. And then so I'm just going to do with the two now the kind of referencing forward and backwards. And I look down at the uh, the box and I go, uh, all right, so how do we get to where we're going Am I the only one hoping that there's a clipping error and he just yeets T-posing into the distance? Yeet! <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the planchette, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, begins to spell out a variety of, of words. It seems to be indicating, it gives a somewhat scientific explanation for the one thing you seem to be experiencing, which is this kind of time distortion effect. It seems to be spelling out aportation, and then it goes on to say, a more powerful manifestation, aportation, spatial distortion, which of course for the paranormalists in the group understand that aportation is a phenomenon very common to haunted houses where objects will oftentimes disappear only to reappear in the exact same space after an extensive search for that object in the exact same space that it disappeared from. Or it will appear somewhere that it had no capacity to be left in, like, for instance, uh, an attic room or something like that. But the going theory is that spiritual energy seems to have some sway over space itself, and that may, in fact, be at play here, in some form, in some measure. Hey, this might be a little above my pay grade, uh, you saints net. You get something to kind of contribute here, because I'm, frankly, at a bit of a loss. Jack launches into an extremely long explanation of who first came up with the theory of aportation, uh, the ways in which it may be achieved, the various combats to the theories and the fights amongst academics, and signs off by saying something along the lines of, but of course all of that may be completely irrelevant in a place such as this. All right, so Jack, so if this is a manifestation, could we could we defeat it by closing our eyes, maybe? I'm, I'm not being a guinea pig. I'm not volunteering for, for anything, mind you. I'm just saying, is this something real or is this all to do with our perception? I mean, it must be real. Look, instruments, readings, real, fact, instrumentation and facts, they're the only things that matter. He has a point. Tell you what, let's test that hypothesis. Jack is going to close his eyes and walk forward and think about getting to the house. 
you close your eyes and walk forward, and it seems to accomplish the same as all movement has previously, which is it allows you to pass by other houses, but yet again, you don't seem to achieve any significant distance closer to the actual location you're trying to get to. Now, as the crystal skull was brought closer to the ghost box, you did notice that the frequencies, the channels that were often spittering and, and sputtering static seemed to clear up. I might propose something here that's a little, um, unscientific, but we're in uncharted territory, so I'm sure I can justify it post hoc. Um, what if we just smash that thing into that thing and see if it works better? <laughs> Amir says, I, I don't think we need to smash my crystal necklace, but we can get a little bit closer. And and she walks quite a bit closer to the box. Yes, let's see. Uh, why don't you? Why don't I just? Yes, again. Yeah, excuse me. Uh, and I, I just hold the box like <laughs> close to your, just like up against your your neck. <laughs> where the neck I love in. your faux French character point. I'm in love with it. <laughs> it's the anchor that is holding me to this world right now. <laughs> Amira, Amira goes, okay, that's quite close enough, and then says, are you going to tell us how to get closer to this castle, or what? I'm getting hungry. As you nearly collide, a voice yet again, a familiar voice, assumes the channels over the voice box, or the ghost box, I should say. There is a device beneath the city. It's called the Dead Engine. I made it myself. It collects discarnate energy, you see. Consciousness is imprinted upon this discarnate energy. And in sufficient quantities, may be capable of being harnessed for much more than simply the common haunting. The dead engine has brought all of this energy to a single point beneath that building. And the distortions you are appreciating are complements of that effect. Spatial, temporal effects. Discarnate energy can be used for any variety of things, you see. But no one has ever brought it together in such quantities. One has to wonder, don't they? If godlike beings were created by discarnative processes, superconsciousnesses comprised of discarnate energy, formed after mass extinctions, or even the death of an alien race or world. One must speculate that life and death, or smaller, more primal scales, are the two major ingredients for the origination of even greater beings. Gods. Isn't that wonderful? That one day we'll all die and become the god we all wanted to be. What a frightening and fascinating young man he is. What a lot of good news and bad news. I mean, the dead engine's a fascinating idea. I mean, I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of loath to mess with it. Free energy's a big deal. But, um, I'm not a huge fan of supercarnate gods striding the landscape, being born of the suffering of the things that, you know, brought them into being. That bit I could do without. Feels a little bit like we're pushing our luck there, you know. So shall we destroy the dead engine thing? Or ride it? I'm very wary. You know, what What it sounds like you just said is, look, a nuclear power plant, let's go kick it. I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong, I'm just wary. It'd be a shame if we all, you know, melted and then never got to publish any papers about the process. <laughs> <laughs> 
The process of melting? Well, you know, the process is up to the melting. The melting, someone, you, you, someone else might have to write that paper. But I expect full credit, and that goes true for all of you. Hey, I'm down to play rock, paper, scissors for who goes down first, because I reckon that's kind of what we need to do in order to get to the Frankenfurter <laughs> castle. Am I correct in that assumption, everybody? Yeah, you might be. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping you'd call me an idiot. I could just go home and eat puff pastries. Honestly, I've, I've, I've been quite impressed with the pastry analogy. It's been a lot stronger than I was giving you credit for. It really does have resilience, doesn't it? As you begin to ponder the various consequences of the words spoken through the ghost box, you begin to appreciate the darkness a little bit more, as the night has almost completely fallen. And as it does so, you begin to notice that the lights come on in the city. And oh so slowly, you begin to see silhouettes standing in the windows, faceless, but you get the sense that they might be looking at you. I hate this fucking place. <laughs> We're getting paid for this, right? Who Who's in charge of accounting? I don't know, but I hope I'm getting myself some beer money after this. Okay, okay, let's, let's, okay. I got, a, I got a new wild hypothesis. Wild hypothesis time, right? Right. Okay, if this is a dead engine, right? It, it, it has to keep going. If it keeps going, it needs maintenance, right? So if it needs maintenance, there has to be a way of doing that maintenance. Like, there has to be a way... There has to be a way through it that we're just not finding, because otherwise it's not an engine, it's just a big bomb. So, if you you were making a big, giant, city-sized engine, what what would the service tunnels look like, I suppose, if if you're going creepy scary with it? You'd probably just put it in the sewers if I, you know, just kind of slap her down there and just kind of not let the general populace know about it if it was me. I suppose that's what I'm getting at. Is there there must be a way? Can can we see any um, like um, Man, manholes? Uh, manholes, yes. Can we see any of those? Yes, you see. Uh, probably, I'd say one far out ahead of you and one relatively close. They're not entirely certain how uh, how close together they generally are, how many are often frequented on the street. But I do think you'd probably see about two. I mean, you might be taking me a little literally here, but I, I, I'm. the point stands. No harm in a look, no harm in an investigate. You say that, but there's hauntings everywhere, so there could be some ghost alligators down there, maybe. Yeah, I'm with Rufus and the dog. What I'm thinking is maybe, like, okay, bear with me on this one. You're all pretty good at, like, spotting your, your historical, you know, ghosty places. Could we just sort of skirt between the ones that are obviously ghosty places? Look, I'm, I'm really out on a limb here, okay? I'm, I'm heading into, like, law with an O, and that's not okay. But do you know what I mean? Sort of wiggle around the terrifying <laughs> monoliths of, of death energy? No? So Amira is meant to have good intuition. Am I able to take the lead here and kind of, you know, be able to tell? Yeah, just give me a uh, an intuition roll. 49. Putting some of the pieces together, you notice that the pig manifested into the basement, and it was the only violent manifestation that so far you've been exposed to that you know of. The ghosts haven't really seemed to be overtly threatening uh, thus far, so you wonder if perhaps it might have been guarding something, and perhaps that the buildings, though made into fetishes of sorts, may also, now that you understand that there's some kind of undergridding with regards to their, their 
their fetish slash kind of like technological qualities, there may be some kind of technological undergridding that runs beneath the houses, which of course leads you to the assumption that there may be some kind of subterranean access to whatever this dead engine is and how it facilitates contact with the other houses, which would of course lead you underground. On the next episode of The Skeleton Crew... Wait, Dodge, have you abandoned the fight? Have you just left me to it? No, it just turns out Rufus gets swept away and now we play with the dog. And get to scootin'. My ghost box! This special presentation featured John Ware, writer and creator of the Silt Verses, and I am in askew as Rufus. Muna Hassan, writer of the Silt Verses, as Amira. Helen Gould, voice actor extraordinaire and host of Enthusiasm as Jack. Mark Anzalone, voice actor and writer of Maltopia and the Sleep-Wake Cycle as The Game Master. Alex Newell, voice actor, director of the Magnus Archives and founder of Rusty Quill as Dr. Sinclair. And Cole Weavers, creator and narrator of The Town Whispers as Dodge. This episode was marketed and distributed by Callum Doherty at the Rusty Quill Network and produced by Cole Weavers. With a special thank you once again to all those involved. For more information, please visit www.rustyquill.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun!
and see you later.